Good morning. Welcome to the gathering of Recreate Church, where no matter your story, you are welcome, you are wanted, and you are loved. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. I love Father's Day because I love being a dad. Um, if you're not familiar, it's your first time here, just so you know who my kids are. They were these kids in the band up here. Those are, those are all my kids. I'm so thankful for them. Uh, yeah, except... Um, the other kid in the band was Kelly, and uh, I don't think me and Chad can pass for kids, but the ki- the kid kids, yeah. So I'm I'm really proud of them. They're awesome. They got all this incredible talent from their mom's side of the family, and all this inability to know when they're beaten from my side of the family. And you put that together, that's a good combination. You know, I'm I'm thankful for Father's Day. I'm I'm one of the lucky ones. You know, I grew up with a, a dad very active in my life. My dad's here today. James is here. This stunning individual in the front row wearing bibbed overalls. His Sunday go to meet in bibbed overalls. And you know what? I'm thankful. I've got some folks in this room who've been a fatherly influence to me. And I'm really grateful. You know, not, not every person who is a father figure is a, is the biological dad of the person that they're being fatherly to. I'm actually very grateful for that. I hope, hope you've had some people in your life who have been fatherly to you, whether that be your literal father or someone who is like a father to you. You know, that is so blessed. In a church family, we can find family. If we, if we don't have a father or a mother, a brother, a sister, or, or sons or daughters or or People like that, we can find that in a church family. That's part of the reason God put us together. We're not just lone wolf believers. We're part of a pack. We're part of a community. And uh, I just want to pray for us before we get started and we'll get into the message. Heavenly Father, I pray now. I give you just all my nerves. I don't know why I still have nerves after doing this for so long, but this is all for your glory, so may you make it what you desire it to be. Thank you for the good dads out there who are trying so hard. And Lord, may today we all learn a bit more about what it means to be courageous, to be men of courage, women of courage, people of courage. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm talking to you today about a hero. What does a hero look like? There's that prototypical, like, superhero look, the Captain America look, you know, with the muscles and the square jaw, big tall, good-looking, capable guy, and then, then for some reason, spandex. I don't understand that. Um, I, if spandex is required to be a hero, I will never be heroic in the least. That's just not my deal. However, not all heroes look like that. I mean, modern-day, real-world heroes, I think of first responders as heroes. You know, the, the folks who show up to situations that most people run away from. That is a hero to me. And uh, in the early part of the pandemic, there were those days when the definition of a hero got broadened even more, that if you were the guy who could go out and come back with a pack of toilet paper, you were the hero. Anyone get to experience that level of heroism? And I went at the place I was working at the time, the boss gave me some money, said, come back with toilet paper. And I came back with toilet paper, and I walked in there, and I just felt 
so heroic and they, they clapped and cheered. That didn't actually happen. But in my heart, it did because I knew. You know, it felt nice to be a hero for just a moment. Most days, I don't feel so heroic, uh, frankly. Most days, I look at, uh, look around, I see a lot of problems that, that I don't think I can fix, that I want to fix. You know, us guys, we're fixers. And some, uh, some of our, our spouses and children have come to us with, you know, just wanting to be heard. And us guys were like, okay, here's what we need to do to fix all this. Well, that's, we learned the hard way. That's maybe not what was being sought. But, uh, you know, I look around and I'm like, man, I want to do this. I want to fix this. I want to change this. I don't think I can. And that's a bad feeling. Men, we want to be heroes to our families so badly, but then we battle these feelings of inadequacy. Not that we would ever say that out loud. It's like, hello, family, I feel inadequate to the task today. No, we're not going to say that most of the time. I want to tell you the story of a man who did not see himself as a hero. He didn't look the part of a hero. He didn't feel like a hero by his own description. He was a weakling, a less than nobody, and yet he becomes famous for the most heroic of virtues, courage. This uh, is Father's Day. Today we celebrate the courage of fathers and godly men. We live in a time where where a lot of men don't embrace either. Don't embrace fatherhood and don't embrace courage. It's, it's a tough role for sure. For a lot of guys, they never really got to see in their home of origin what a father was supposed to be like. And so they're like trying to figure out, you know, one, one preacher that I listened to a lot, he said his dad had such a hard time being a dad because he never knew what a dad was supposed to be like because he didn't see it growing up. Our society bears the marks of absent fathers and abusive fathers. So more than ever, we need men of courage to stand up and be leaders in homes and beyond. So the story I want to tell you comes from a very chaotic period of the history of God's people. This was after they went into the promised land, but before there's a king in the land. There were several hundred years there. Where, where they were living in the place God meant for them, but there was really no strong leadership. There was nothing like somebody in charge, at least not over the whole thing. Uh, what happens when nobody is showing leadership? Well, it's, it's chaos. People get away with whatever they can get away with. And that's what was happening there. People did whatever they could get away with, and as long as no one could stop them, they did it. Lots of warlords around. The events of this time period are recorded in an Old Testament book called the Book of Judges. Now, you read that title, the Book of Judges, and you would think, okay, it's a time about judges. Then justice would be what we see all through the Book of Judges. Unfortunately, that's not at all the case. There's a lot of injustice. The people who were called judges in this period in history weren't the kind of judges we think of someone sitting uh, on a bench in a black robe giving out some kind of a, a sentence or making a decision they were 
more or less freedom fighters that would be raised up for a period of time and they would solve some sort of problem or fight some kind of battle and then they could be they would go away again they would do some making of decisions but it was it was really sporadic it was really inconsistent see in these days there was no law enforcement at all there was no standing army at all if uh, you got in trouble there was nobody for you to call it was just you Tough times. At this story, a group of people called the Midianites were encroaching on Israel. The Midianites were a people who lived on the edge of the Arabian Desert, and they were distantly related to the Israelites through Abraham. And everyone, every year at harvest time, the Midianites would come and raid Israel and steal their livestock and steal their crops. And this happened seven years in a row. And you're going to say, well, why, how could that be? Why doesn't somebody stop them? Again, there's no police. There's no army. There's no king. There's nobody to call for help. The only chance you had in those days is if you could get the people in your village that's being attacked to stand up against these warlords that were coming in. But everyone is scared of the Midianites. They don't want to fight. They're, they need somebody to inspire them. Because right now they're living in, a, in caves. Have you ever been in a cave? It's cool place to visit, bad place to live. It's not the sort of place you want to live your life. I know in some point in history there were cave people, but you know what? We moved out of those caves just as quick as we could. It was just a hole in the ground. So they needed someone to inspire them, to give them courage to, to revolt against these Midianites. And that is where Gideon comes in. So Gideon, this courageous hero, this man of courage, this guy who is going to lead the fight, where is he when we find him in Judges chapter 6? Is he, is he um, training for combat? Is he sharpening his sword? Is he throwing a spear at a target and hitting it every time? Is he, is he leading a battle? Is he planning some sort of a, of, of a attack? Is he writing a strongly worded letter? Is he asking to talk to the manager of the Midianites? Because this has gone on long enough. No, he's not even doing that. This man Gideon, this man of courage, this man of valor is hiding in a hole in the ground does not look like a guy with courage. This particular hole was a wine press. I've never seen anything like this in real life, but in the Middle East and in a lot of the ancient part of the world, they would carve out a big circular hole with a flat bottom in the bedrock, and they would put all the grapes in there, and they would stomp the grapes, and they would squeeze out all the juice, and that would, that's how they would make wine. I'm just, I am just a country boy from Dugspur in Silvatus, Virginia, and it's hard for me to understand why you're going to drink something that somebody's feet has been in. You know, I'm country, but I ain't that kind of country. You know what I mean? So I, you know, there's something there that I'm missing, okay? Somebody understands that, and I don't. I don't, if your feet's been in it, I don't want it. I just don't. But anyway, Gideon is not down in there stomping grapes, He's threshing wheat. What does that mean, to thresh wheat? Well, it just means you're, you're taking the wheat that's still on the stalk and you're separating out the little bit of the grain 
from the, the rest of it, from the stem and the chaff and all of that, because you, you can't eat the, the grass part of wheat. You can only eat the, the, the grain part. <clears throat> Normally, threshing wheat would take place on a windy hilltop because they would, they would beat on this wheat and they would toss it up in the air with like a pitchfork thing and the wind would blow away the lighter bits, you know, the chaff and the straw, and the heavier grain would fall down, and you collect that. So Gideon is not on a hilltop. He's in a hole. Why isn't he on the hilltop? Why isn't he up on the hilltop threshing his wheat? He's hiding. He's afraid the Midianites will see him. Because if the Midianites see him, they will probably come and kill him and take his grain. Those are two very bad things. He's afraid. But there's something that's missing. If he's threshing wheat down in that hole, what's missing that you normally need in order to thresh wheat? The wind. The wind is not there. Because of his fear, he's in a place where he doesn't have the help of the wind. I wonder how much of our frustration in life is because we're trying to thresh wheat without wind. What in the world do I mean by that? It's just this. Very often in the scriptures, wind is symbolic of the providence of God and even of the Spirit of God. Did you know the New Testament word for the Holy Spirit is pneuma and it means a breath or a wind? We've got we to gotta be where the wind is. We've got to be where the Spirit is, where the Spirit leads us. We need the Lord's help. Life is hard already. Do you know that? Have you experienced that? Life is hard? Yeah, it's hard. But it's a lot harder when we don't have the help of the Holy Spirit. We've got to rely on the help of the Holy Spirit. We, we've got to be where God's power is. Now Gideon, he's down in that hole and he's doing his best. He's afraid if he goes out of that hole, he'll be seen and he'll be killed. But he's not as alone in that hole as he thinks he is. And I know what you're going to say. Oh, you're, the Lord was with him in the hole, right, Michael? Yeah, 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 but not that. There was somebody there. Somebody was watching him in the hole. And we say, oh, no, who is it? Is it the Midianites? The guys who he was afraid were going to see him? No. An angel was watching Gideon. Nearby, there was an angel sitting under a terebinth tree watching Gideon. And the angel after watching him a while, comes up to the edge of the hole and he says, this is Judges 6.12. I think we'll read this directly. You'll put that scripture up. Judges 6.12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Now where's Gideon right now? In a hole. Why is he in a hole? Because he's afraid. The Lord is with you, almighty man of valor. If you read the rest of this chapter, it kind of seems like Gideon does not understand fully that he's dealing with an angel, at least for parts of this. It, it makes you wonder if he's thinking, if, he, if this is just some local guy coming to heckle him, or if he's just imagining all of it. I mean, it does kind of sound like a joke, right? To say down, say, hey buddy, hey mighty man of valor, hey you courageous fella, hey you're just going to lead the battle. And he's like, oh, really? Come on, man. It, it does seem like it's a joke to call the guy who's hiding the mighty man of valor. It's kind of like, have you ever had a friend who's like really big and his nickname was Tiny? Or you do something really stupid and the people who love you most call you a genius? 
<laughs> My wife used to tell me that for a guy who's really smart, I'm really dumb. Now, she put it a lot nicer than that. She didn't put it like that. But she'd say, you know, you, you have a lot of book smarts and not a lot of common sense, you know. <laughs> Guess what? My wife is here with us this morning. Can you give a hand? My wife, Katie, she's usually here at the evening service. So uh, normally, I'll just confess to you, my sweet wife. Normally, I, I give anecdotes that involve you and the kids and all that. And uh, now that you're here, I won't be doing nearly as much of those because I am sort of scared. My children got me a Father's Day card. And on the front, it, it had this pen that said, I'm the boss, like an actual, like a pen. And it said, here, Dad, we're giving you this today. Show that you're the leader in our family. It said, I'm the boss. And then you open up the card and he said, it says, just be sure to give it back to Mom tomorrow. <laughs> Great. Fantastic. So he thinks it's a joke. I mean, like, why would you say the mighty man of valor? Hey, you in a hole. Uh, he thinks somebody's being sarcastic. It's like someone says the Cowboys are a good football team. You know it's sarcasm. You know it can't be true. So uh, see, you know, there it is. If only Bobby was here today, he'd, he'd be giving me a really hard time. Gideon just isn't buying it. You know, he, he says, and I paraphrase, yeah, okay, okay, guy. Um, you say the Lord is with us, but it sure doesn't feel like he's with us. It doesn't feel like he's with me. It doesn't feel like he's with the nation of Israel. We've heard all about his miracles from the past, but, but what about now? It seems like he's allowing the Midianites to, to whip us. They're kicking us around like a soccer ball. The angel gives an answer, and he doesn't back down at all. Verse 14, if you'll put that up there, please. Verse 14, then the Lord said to him, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Now let's ponder that for a moment. Who is speaking to Gideon right now? It's an angel. But this says the, the Lord turned to him, and the Lord said, well, how do we make sense of that? Again and again in the Old Testament, we see this figure called the angel of the Lord who appears to be a kind of a personal representative of God. And in some instances, this angel of the Lord seems to be something even more. And some folks have said, well, maybe that's even like an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament in a supernatural angelic form. Man, that would be a message all to itself. But one way or the other, the angel is speaking on behalf of the Lord and saying, yes, you are the right guy. You go in the might that I have given you and you are going to deliver Israel. You are the right guy. Now for a guy famous for courage, Gideon does not sound the part. He more or less responds, Who, me? Look, you got, you got the wrong guy here. I'm no mighty man. My family is the weakest family in Israel. And I'm the least capable in the whole family. Yeah, I hope somebody leads us in battle against the Midianites, but it ain't going to be this guy. You've got the wrong guy. Have you had that feeling that you're the wrong guy? That you feel like the Lord or somebody is expecting you to do something about a problem? And you're like, man, I hope somebody fixes it, but I'm not the right guy. I'm not the right guy for this. 
You see a bad situation in your family, your work, your school, your friend group, your community, your nation. You know somebody needs to do something about it. But you don't feel qualified. Or, or, what's worse, you try to do something about it. And you get shot down. I will confess that our present culture isn't really friendly to men especially who really want to show leadership. Very often when men try to show leadership, they're, they're just rejected. Or, or when, they, when, they, when they speak up, they're criticized. When they don't speak up, they're criticized. So men, I get it. It feels like a no-win situation sometimes, doesn't it? To try to be leaders in your homes or your work, your family. You know, it feels like it's a no-win. No wonder men are reluctant to lead, especially. Now, I keep addressing it to the men. I don't want you to think this message is just for the men. It is Father's Day, so it's a little more specific to the men. But brothers, we need some men to step up and be leaders, and to have courage, and to make positive change. And he says the same thing to you and to me as he did to Gideon. He says, I will be with you. You do have the strength in the Lord. I always have lots of questions, so I'm like, okay, okay, I hear you. I hear you, Lord. I'm I get it. But what if it still doesn't work? Gideon, if you read Gideon's story, Gideon, he was worried about that too. Gideon has fears, Gideon has doubts. But let me let you in on a little secret. Fear does not make you a second class believer. Doubt does not make you a second-class believer. Doubt and fear is something that everyone experiences, and it doesn't have to be the wall that stops you. It's what you do from there that counts. Listen, courage is not the absence of fear. Have you ever been responsible for a really small child? Do you notice how they try to kill themselves constantly? Like how do you keep how do you keep a toddler alive? That's why um, I God bless my wife who was a stay at home mom for for a couple of our kids and like how did you do it I don't know you kept this child alive I mean it's they don't have any fear at all so they'll just what are you doing you're just walking off of this thing doing a head dive off of it and you take your kid y'all know how it is mamas daddies you take your kid in public and they've also got a huge bruise on their forehead and you're like oh my gosh people are going to think that i abused my child and i'll just have to explain to them no they did it to themselves and then the authorities are going to say no that's not how it is and like but yes that's exactly what happened you know you put all these little cushiony things on the corner of all your coffee tables and then they find some other sharp edge why do we bother Wrap everything in bubble wrap. Then they pop the bubble wrap and eat it. And then beat their head on it. Not you kids. Y'all are great. Y'all never did any of, any of that. Mm. The thing is, a, a, toddler, a toddler doesn't have a lot of fear. But that's not courage. That's ignorance. A, a small child does not have the fear of a flame. Because they don't know what a flame does. A firefighter knows exactly what a flame will do. And yet, they still run into the burning building to save others. That's courage. Fear and courage are not mutually exclusive. Courage 
is not being unafraid. It's being unwilling to let your fear stop you from doing what is right. That's what courage is. Courage is when your knees are shaken and you do it anyway. That's courage. Faith is going to require courage. Faith means trusting God and doing the right thing even when you're afraid. And it seems like in many cases in my life, when I'm a little bit afraid, that's usually the sign that I'm on the right track. Maybe not everyone's experience is like that, but I'm a little bit scared. That probably means that it's, it's what God's got in mind when I'm just a little bit afraid. Even when we don't know how things are going to turn out, even when we don't know, even if we know it's going to be difficult or painful and we do it anyway, that's faith. That's courage. Courage means doing what scares you because you know it's right. We need some men of courage, some women of courage, some kids of courage who will do what is right even when it scares them. But what if, but what if we don't understand? What if we have questions? You know, what if I need to ask for confirmation? Well, I just want you to know, courage and even faith doesn't mean you can't ask questions. Questions are good. Gideon had questions. If you've read the story of Gideon, he asked the angel to prove that the message was from the Lord. Now, that's pretty sensible. Because anyone can come up to you and say, the Lord told me to tell you, and then fill in the blank with anything at all. Maybe you've had that experience before where someone came up to you and they told you, the Lord told me to tell you. First of all, I'm like, why didn't the Lord just tell me? But anyway, they could maybe say something that perhaps is well-meaning, but in the end you figure out, I think this message was more from the person than from the Lord. So that's, that's kind of a sticky thing there, and we've got to be so careful with that. The angel did prove to Gideon that he was legit. Gideon brought out an offering for the Lord, and the angel just burned it up, and Gideon's like, okay, I get it. But that wasn't the last time that Gideon asked questions. You've heard that phrase, putting out the fleece. Like that's a, that's a phrase that sometimes gets used. That is part of Gideon's story. He, he asked the Lord for confirmation multiple times for different things. And you know what? The Lord did not get mad at Gideon. Not so far as I can tell in the scriptures. It was okay to ask questions. But when he got the answer, then it was time to act. It's wise to ask the Lord for confirmation. But we cannot keep searching for excuses to get out of doing the right thing because it scares us. You know, I believe that if you seek confirmation from the Lord, He'll give it to you. But once you get it, it's go time. It's go time. And that's really the heart of the message. Yes, for men, but for everybody. That when we know what the Lord wants us to do, trust Him. Take courage and do the right thing. Even if it scares you. Especially if it scares you. Gideon knew what needed to be done. And there's no doubt that it scared him because he knew if he did this, he would be standing alone. Nobody else was going to do it. At least not at first. When we are leaders in our homes, in our workplaces, our community, it's going to make us unpopular. If you're the guy who walks into a situation and says, you know, this, is, this has got to change. 
There are some people who like it the way it is. Have you ever been in a dysfunctional environment, especially like at work or somewhere, a super dysfunctional environment, and everybody knows it's messed up, yet it just keeps going and going and going? Something I've learned through the years, if you have dysfunction that just keeps going, somebody likes it that way. Somebody is very comfortable with the dysfunction. That can go for families, that can go for workplaces, that can go for churches where there is systematic dysfunction. And the guy who or person, woman who stands up and says, hey, this, this isn't going to work. We've got to do something about this. I can tell you from experience that that does draw a target on you. But I can also tell you from experience that if it's the right thing to do, God will honor it. Gideon was going to have to stand alone. And it was going to start in a place far from the battlefield. Gideon was going to lead the nation in war, but his first and perhaps his most intimidating battle wasn't against the Midianites. It was in his own household and in his own community. See, they had a problem in Gideon's family and in his town. Despite professing to be believers in Jehovah God, they also had an altar and wooden idols dedicated to the pagan god, Baal. B-A-A-L, Baal. Sometimes he's depicted as like having the head of a bull, I think. So he's like a minotaur, I guess. Is that the right thing? I need to brush up on my, <laughs> my Greek mythology. I don't know. But he's like, come on, do you want to worship the bull-headed god? Nah, no, no, no. But that's the, in his town, there was, this, there was this collection of wooden idols, and it, it sounds weird to us. Maybe they were something kind of like totem poles, if you've ever seen a totem pole. But these were dedicated to the pagan gods. And, and if you ask the people in that town, do you believe in the true God? They would say, well, yes, of course. But the evidence was, the reality was, that idols had much more of their hearts than the Lord did. They said they were believers in the true God, but you look around and all you saw was pagan stuff. Pagan stuff was at the center of it all. Now here's the difficult and maybe embarrassing truth is that in many homes that profess to believe in the true God, it's the idols who have taken center stage. What counts as an idol? Well, the classic thing that preachers like me harp on is, you know, money and stuff and that there rock and roll music. And then made an idol of them long-haired hippies playing that rock and roll. <laughs> Thank you, Billy Honeycutt. Thank you. Look, man. <laughs> wouldn't it be nice if we could just, you know, complain about something else that somebody else has going on. That would be great. Let me tell you, you can become a very popular preacher preaching on the stuff that people out there have problems with. It's when you start talking about the problems in the room that you get a little bit of that Gideon action going. And that's what I'm going to try today. Now here, here is the, here's something that makes me very uncomfortable. And I have my, my amazing wife here very much to confirm that. Um, the idol, the household idol of the modern age is technology. It's technology. 
and and look, I'm not telling you that phones and tablets and TVs are evil. They're not. I'm thankful for technology. This podcast that is being recorded right now goes out all over the world. We have listeners everywhere. We have, I mean, like most of the continents. It's, it's amazing to me. And most of these people who are going to listen to this recording are going to do so from a smartphone or something like that. So it's awesome. That's great. Your phone ain't the devil. Your tablet's not the devil. Your computer's not the devil. The TV's not the devil. They're incredibly useful tools. The problem is not the technology. The problem is, is the centrality of the technology. And I got to thinking the other day, I'll be like going through work and I've got to walk. Oh my goodness, I'm surprised I ain't wore out my shoes and my job. I work, walk from one end of the building to the other all day long, like all day long, back and forth, back and forth. And while I'm walking, I'm like, hey, I'm just going to check what's going on in my email. I'm going to check what's going on. Hey, check that out. Someone had their baby. Great. And all that. Why am I doing this? Can't I just walk from one end of the building to the other? Just, y'all, I know what y'all think because I'm a preacher that I'm just walking and say, what a friend we have in Jesus. You know, y'all just think that's what I do. Thanks for that. Uh, these people sitting on the front row can dispel that little myth for you. You know, I'm, I'm like, I'm a human being like everybody else. I'm like, why am I doing this? Who cares? You know, um, yeah, I, I should be able to walk from like one end of the building to the other without sending someone a meme. But it's a struggle. I like, I don't like this. It's the centrality of the, you know, and is that a problem? No. But man, do I ever want, like, what if I filled in that space of some dumb something on my phone with like praying? Or like, hey, let me think if I can... Remember that scripture, you know, you know, memorize the scripture. What if I did that? It would be so much better. Technology is such a blessing, but it can it can take that center place without us even meaning to. And you want to know how central technology is to your life. Just let the power go out or the Internet go out for a while. Been there, done that this weekend, came home on Friday, and there's no electricity. And you know, it throws you back to the little house on the prairie. And you're looking around like, what is this strange place and these strange people? You know, where's, where's the, what happened to the electric candle, Jebediah? Where, you know, where, where are we? And it, I came home, I got to give a shout out to my kids. They were like um, playing a, a board game or something, the tabletop game. So that was that was pretty cool. And, and the TV was off. And it was glorious. So I did what I do when I sit down in a chair and no one's talking to me. I fell fast asleep. Because that's what dads do. And let me tell you what my amazing family did for me. Their loving father, the breadwinner, the head of household. The man of God who dwells among them. While I was sitting unconscious in my recliner, tired from a hard day of labor, laboring for them that they might have the good things of this world, that they might have high-speed internet and iPhones. As I was asleep in my chair, 
dreaming about wonderful things and praying in my sleep that the Lord would bless my family, two of my family members got out the fingernail polish. And while the third one, the third one videoed it, and the fourth one, my only son, he who shall carry on my name, did nothing whatsoever to stop them. They painted the big toe on each of my feet pink. And you know what? For Father's Day, it's still on there. I ain't had time to take it off. And if that makes you feel funny, trust me, I don't feel any better about it myself. For Father Days, they're they going to get that stuff off. That's, boy, I don't know where I started with this line of thought, but it really got away from me. What counts isn't, that's the, the Baal, the pagan gods got in my house and inspired my family to get the toenail polish. What the heck, y'all? I was technology, you know, what, um, had the power stayed on, I probably would just have normal toenails right now. There's just like one on each foot. So, I mean, it's not like it's like it's all of them. Yeah. Okay. Hey, come on now, Billy. Don't make me take my shoes off and prove what I'm, prove what I'm, I'm talking about. But here's the thing. This is what I'm getting at. Anything that occupies the central place in our lives, that's not God. It's an idol. It could be, it could be a, an electronic device. It could be your work. If your work is your life, that's really not good. I hope you're doing something for a job that you like, that you love. But if it's first place, man, that's a problem. If, if money or stuff or any of that, and get this, this is a hard one for me because I'm a family person. Our God relationship even has to be more central than our family relationship. That's not a small thing. But you will be a better family member to the people in your family if you are living and walking with the Lord. You'll be a much better dad. You'll be a much better mom, son, daughter, grandma, grandpa, whatever role you're in, you'll be better. Maybe one of the best things we can do for our household is to go deal with the stuff that that's in the center that shouldn't be. That, that probably won't mean like chucking your cell phone out through the weeds. That's probably not a good idea. But maybe what if we just like on purpose played like it was the old timey days and everyone put their phone down and like talked to each other. That should probably happen. And my wife's like, yes, let's do that, honey. Because I need to do that too. You know, that's what we need to do. And we can, it's, a little bit of detox wouldn't be such a bad thing. And some of it gets a bit more serious than technology. You know, anything that is in your house or in your family's life right now that causes them to drift away from God, causes them to stray away from the path, you got to deal with that. Got to deal with that stuff. And look, everybody's responsible. And maybe I'm one of them old school guys. And I guess you can tweet about it and whatever later. But I'm just saying, men... That should be us. Now, the ladies will deal with it if we leave it undealt with. That should be us. We should be the guys doing that. Okay? So before Gideon's story is over, he is going to face down an army that is almost 500 times bigger than his and win. 
But I, I think it took more courage to do what he did on the night he spoke to that angel. He went home that very night and he destroyed the altar of Baal in his house. And he went out to the part of town where they had those wooden idols and he chopped them up. And he used them as firewood because he made an altar to the true God and offered an offering there and used the wood from the idols to burn the offering. That was a gutsy move. That was amazing. Gideon was called to change a nation, but he started by changing his own home. Takes Listen, listen. It takes a lot more courage to deal with the deep-seated spiritual problems in your own household than to call out other people for their faults and their sins. It's easy to be a critic. But it's hard to deal with the junk in your own life. You ever watch that show Hoarders? You watch that like I do mostly so you feel better about your own mess? It's so much easier to like look at that and say, man, there, got a mess, than for me to go home and clean out my workshop that I can barely walk through. Yeah. Men, God has called us to be leaders in our homes and families. And, and we lead by example. Here's what I don't want to happen. I don't want any man to go home and be like, man, I heard the message the preacher said, we got to straighten this place up. Y'all got to straighten up. We got to deal with this. No, listen, lead by example. Model change in your own life first. Don't just go on a rant. You know, us dads do that from time to time. I got a little reminder this morning that maybe, maybe every car ride doesn't have to be some big life lesson for my kids. But it's a captive. They can't run from me when they're in the car. So maybe they'll look back on it later and say, I sure enjoy those car rides with dad. When we couldn't just listen to the radio, we had to talk about stuff. Model change in your own life first. You want to see the idols gone out of your house? Get the idols out of your heart first. Cleanup does not just start in our homes, it starts in our hearts. So the next day, the people of the village woke up and they saw that somebody had chopped down all the idols and the altar of Baal was destroyed and they were furious. Let me assure you that if you demonstrate courageous, godly leadership, somebody's going to have a problem with it. It is going to make you unpopular. So the people are ready to kill Gideon. Let's read a little bit in Judges 6, verses 29 through 31, please. So they said to one another, who has done this? And when they had inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the city said to Joash, Joash is, is Gideon's dad. Here we see a dad in the story here, and he's about to step up. Jo they said to Joash, bring out your son that he may die because he has torn down the altar of Baal and because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it. And Joash said to all who stood against him, would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him plead for himself because his altar has been torn down. Hey, Gideon's dad is showing some courage here, showing some backbone here, but you got to understand the context of the story. Gideon's dad, the head of household, they had an altar to Baal in their house. See, he was complicit with the, the pagan worship to this point. He was fine with it. But when his son stood up for what is right, 
the dad was inspired to stand up for what is right. See, the first person that Gideon convinced was his dad. Isn't that something? I, I love it. I love it. In his own house, change came to his own house. To Gideon's credit, if you read on in the story, Gideon could have backed down, but he didn't. He could have retreated or denied or given up and said, hey, hey, hey I'm sorry for cutting down all the idols. You know, I hope you put them back. He's going to be okay. No, he didn't do any of that. He did the right thing, the difficult thing. He did not just take the blame. He took ownership. And he said, yes, yes, I did. And let me tell you why. And he begins to share his passion. And how he says it's time to throw off the idols and put the true God back in the center. It's time to throw off the Midianites and be free. And as he's given this, this encouraging speech, a messenger comes with some terrible news. The Midianites have crossed the Jordan River and they've got the Amalekites with them. A huge army, 135,000 men are coming right now. And it's a full-scale invasion. Normally this would have terrified all the people. Huge army. But the courageous words of Gideon have inspired them. And the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Gideon. And he blows a trumpet. And he calls on the nation to rise up against the invaders. And immediately, instead of running away, the people start to rally. People show up from all over the country. They send messengers everywhere. And all these people who are hiding in caves come together and they become an army. And you got to see what happens next by reading it yourself. It's such a story. Gideon faces a fighting force much bigger than his own and defeats them all in an unbelievable way without even drawing a sword, if you can imagine. And by the time Gideon is done with the Midianites, they never bother Israel again and they have peace for the rest of his days. Gideon didn't look like a hero. He didn't feel like a hero, but when it came down to it, he demonstrated the most heroic of virtues, and that's courage. And his courage, was it lack of fear? No. If you read Gideon's story, it's clear that he, he was fearful several times. He hesitated several times. He stopped to ask for confirmation several times, but that didn't stop him from doing the right thing. That's what courage really is. Courage isn't that you're not afraid. Courage is when you don't let fear stop you from doing the right thing. So thousands of years after Gideon, there's another man of courage. His name is Ray Blankenship. Ray Blankenship was fixing breakfast one morning. And he happened to look out of his kitchen window, and there's a drainage ditch out there. There had been recent rain. And he sees a girl going floating by in this flood. And he knows what's going to happen. Just so far out of sight, there is a culvert that she's going to go into, and he knows if she goes into that, she'll never make it. So he sprints out of his house, and he tries to run ahead of her, and he dives into the water, and he manages to get a hold of her arm and grab a hold of a rock with his other hand, and he's only about three feet away from this culvert, and if he loses his grip, they're both going to die. And he holds on just praying that he can make it until help arrives, and he does. Not only that, he manages to get her out of the water before the folks come, and they, they give medical treatment to both of them. For his heroism, Ray Blankenship was awarded the Coast Guard's Silver Lifesaving Medal, an award well-deserved, especially when you learn the truth that Ray Blankenship didn't know how to swim. 
That's courage. Men, we won't always feel up to the challenge. We're going to have to dive into water that's way over our heads. But our families need us. Our communities need us. Being a man of courage, being a woman of courage is not about being afraid. It's about doing the right thing even though you are afraid. So what about you? What is the right thing that you know you need to do but you've been scared to do it? What is that thing for you? What is that situation in your home or your, your life, your health, your, your spiritual relationship with God, your, your work, your community that needs to be dealt with? You know, are there some idols that you need to go chop down? It's time to be a person of courage. And the Lord will say to you what He said to Gideon, I am with you. You are a man of valor. You're a woman of valor. You just don't know it yet. The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. The, the Lord is with you, mighty woman of valor. The Lord is with you. He sent His Son that you might be born again and be redeemed and be filled with His Holy Spirit. And there's nothing impossible for you because of that. I don't want us to go to the Lord in prayer right now. Will you pray with us, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name. God, help us to be men and women, to be people of courage. First of all, in our own hearts, to deal with the junk in our hearts. Lord, if there are idols in our hearts, may we chop them down without regret. God, may we be leaders, people of courage in our own homes and deal with the stuff that, that needs to be dealt with that we've been afraid to deal with it. God, may we be people of courage in our places of work, in our extended families, in the places where we do business, in our communities, our circle of friends. God, give us the valor that you gave to Gideon. Almighty God, thank you for fathers. And thank you for being the Father above all fathers. Lord, I want to pray for anyone receiving this message that they might trust in Jesus and be saved and have you as their Father. Lord, we give it all to you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for being a part of this. Happy Father's Day to you. If you. I hope you get to spend some time with the people who have shown fatherly influence to you. God bless you. We'll catch you next week. Thank you.